With that being said, buckle in. I know my time is short, and Lord willing, I intend to be faithful to God's word this morning in presenting you a word from the Lord, um, thematically talking about God's faithfulness. And I hope to express God's faithfulness as revealed comprehensively throughout his entire word in a span of 30 minutes or so. <laughs> so, And I have a lot of scripture to read, so, so just buckle in with us this morning. Um, would you join me in prayer? God, thank you, Lord, for this morning, for the opportunity to just be here, God, in your house, and yet, Lord, to be in your presence, God. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are always with us, Lord, but we just appreciate, God, when you manifest your presence in our hearts, Lord, in our lives, Lord, that you touch, God, us personally, Lord, that you reach all the way down from heaven and impact our heart. Thank you for doing that, God. Thank you for being here again today, God, and I know you're doing a work in this place, and I ask, Lord, God, that you would God, remove myself out of the way, Lord, that you may speak, Lord, to your people, um, that you would even speak a word fresh to my heart this morning. And I just pray, God, that this morning we would walk out of here with a fresher glimpse, God, of your faithfulness, of your consistency, God, in our lives, Lord, that we may have some prayer and hope to model what you have set forth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, a quick preview this morning of where we're headed, um, and I will come back to this verse, but We're going to kick off Deuteronomy 7, uh, verse 9, and you'll notice I'm using ESV um, today. Uh, I will reference King James. I grew up King James, so all of you King James lovers, I understand, and and I'm I'm right there with you. But just for the sake of a literal, readable translation, I'm going to try to stick to ESV. I like to use all the translations when studying, but you will notice the ESV theme. So Deuteronomy 7 out of the Torah, verse 9, says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So this morning, obviously, I'd like to talk about God's faithfulness. And to do so faithfully, um, Ms. Christine, you can put up the outline. Um, Three parts, obviously, of God. Three personas, three distinctions, however you want to look at it. But the Trinity consists of the Lord, our Father God. He is, of course, faithful. Jesus Christ also modeled faithfulness. And then finally, the Holy Spirit is faithfully given. So first of all, starting where all things start, at our Father God, God's faithfulness is both over and through creation. God's faithfulness is both over and through creation. And a lot of times as I'm talking this morning, you'll, you'll hear some consistencies um, between the idea of consistency, faithfulness, sovereignty, God is outside of us. God is outside of time. God is outside of anything we can comprehend or imagine. God is any possible force you could imagine to be reckoned with, to to have on your side. He is the all-great, almighty, all-powerful God. And yet his faithfulness is over sovereign and yet through creation. We know most of you are familiar with Romans 1, um, a passage that has a lot of heavy-hitting material in it. But 19 and 20, verses 19 of 20 of Romans chapter 1, talks about how God is known throughout creation. God is known throughout creation in everything that he made. And so his presence, his glory, the fact that God exists, the fact that God is alive and there is a wisdom and a power and and an unbelievable intellect outside of ourselves, thank the Lord, that is evident. And no one can have an excuse to deny that. Some will try, but they have no excuse to deny that. Also, God is present over creation. He, he is faithful 
over and sovereign over. Romans 8, 20 through 29 goes through this long passage of groaning. There are three levels of groaning found in Romans 8. Um, and I encourage you, as pastor often does, to, to read Romans 7, Romans 8. Um, just some powerful, powerful um, verses. And I won't put it up on the screen just because of the amount of time um, that we have. And I wasn't actually intending to anyway. But the whole creation groans. Whole creation groans to be reckoned with God. We groan as also being a part of this fallen world, this fallen existence. And yet the spirit also groans with utterings that can't be uttered, groans for us. But in this, the creation, everything that exists, groans for God to reconcile this world back to the perfection that God created. So this is what we talk about when we say God is sovereign, God is faithful. Um, Yes, you can experience God through the creation that he made. I would not go to the point to say God is a tree, but yet you can look at the tree and see God, if you you, you track with me there. Um, So I had a recent conversation with a lady on a plane, and it was a great conversation. It spanned a whole two-hour flight, but you'll you'll run into a lot of... uh, a lot of different ideas um, today, and so it's, it's important to have a scriptural worldview on that. The Lord is sovereign and faithful. Uh, Christian, if you put up Isaiah, I hope you guys can read this. This is the only one like this. Isaiah 46. I read this uh, this week in seminary, and I was like, wow, this is uh, exactly where we're headed. And there's a, there's a quote that goes along with it. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times... Things not yet done. And saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Isaiah goes on to say, the Lord speaking through Isaiah, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Amen. Amen. We quote God's word because God has spoken his word, and we know his character proves God's word to be consistent, to be on time. What Brother Larry mentioned earlier with understanding how to apply certain verses is important because you want to keep the word of God, the literal word of God, also tied in with the principles of God, right? With the truth that lies throughout scripture. A lot of times we get into, not, not us necessarily, but maybe at times we do, we fall into the habit of proof texting things or having this one pocket verse. And if we are not too careful, we have to balance things with the, with the full gravity of scripture. God is consistent and God is unchanging. I have a quote broken down for you into four, and I'll read through it slowly. But when I read it, I was like, I have got to include this. So um, bear with me. This is a Dutch theologian by the name of Herman Bavink on God's consistency. He refers to this as of greatest significance. If you're someone who cares about religion or God or anything, to understand that God is consistent, that God does not change, cannot change, will not change, no matter what, is of utmost importance. The contrast between being and becoming marks the difference between the creator and the creature. Every creature is continually becoming. It is changeable, constantly striving, seeks rest and satisfaction, and yet finds this rest in God alone. For only he is pure being. And no becoming. That is that God exists. God doesn't have to become anything. There's no idea of evolution. There's no idea of of what's the next step. What's the level up or whatever is God. This is is God the Father. This is God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. This is the triune, amazing, consistent 
faithfulness of God. This is why in Scripture, God is often called the rock. We must look to him alone. We know, obviously, all the wonderful ideas of the rock, but we know he's the rock of our salvation. Okay? There's nothing else that we can look to. There's nothing else that we can put our anchor in except for this consistency of God. And now briefly, I want to take us through the Old Testament, God's faithfulness through the salvation history of the Old Testament. This is what I was talking about earlier with the, the literal um, aspects. There's lots of things in the Old Testament that if you look at it in just a small, narrow view of Scripture, you can get really confused. But you have to understand that God's, this is 3,000 years worth of time we're talking about, so God's dealing with people where they're at as they go throughout Scripture. But we know Abraham, it all starts with Abraham, the father of faith, right? We, we know that Abraham's the father of our faith. Genesis 15, 17, recounts the, the end of, of God's communing with Abraham and, and solidifying the covenant. God speaks to Abraham, says, I will bless you, I will bless your family, I will give you children. He says, I'm too old to have children, I will give you children. And I will give you descendants, the number of the stars, the sands of the sea. Impossible to even comprehend what I'm going to do through you. And I will bless all nations. Powerful. Obviously, we know that ends with Christ, right? We know that's, that's, that was the, the fullness of the blessing that would come through Abraham. And yet, in that time period, um, if you read Genesis 15, you see a contract that, that God makes with Abraham. He comes down and there's a sacrifice made and the sacrifice divided into two halves. And typically at that time period, this is the norm, this would be like a handshake, this would be like a written contract, this is however, however you want to make a binding agreement. And both parties have to, quote unquote, sign the agreement. Abraham prepares his sacrifice, he halves it, sets him aside, there's an alleyway through the middle, you have to walk through to agree to the contract. Verse 17 says, And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And this is the only reference of anything happening as it never said Abraham walked through. This is the almighty manifest presence of God signing this contract with Abraham and yet saying, I am sufficient to sign it. This contract, this promise will happen because I say it will. There are conditional covenants in the Bible. Most of you probably are familiar with the back and forth of the, of the Israelites and even, even the kings of Israel. And yet, even though there were times where people stepped out of the will of God, Christ still came. God still saw his promise through. God still said, my will and my reckoning, my redemption shall be done. The next aspect is the children of Israel. We're going back to the beginning now. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. The New Testament here references mercy and substitutes mercy for steadfast love. But however you want to understand it, there's a conditional aspect of this for those that love God and keep his commandments. There is an unbelievable union, an unbelievable aspect of God that we get to commune with. And yet God is still faithful outside of this. God is still consistent. God is still unchanging. And God is a faithful God who keeps covenant. 
Covenant is one of those Old Testament words that was around a lot. It was around, uh, we have one with David, we have one with Abraham, you know, all these different covenants. But it's simply just a promise. It just means God makes a promise. And yet God's character makes this promise special compared to a normal promise that you or I would make. We, we attempt to keep our promises, and sometimes we don't. God's character does not allow that to happen for him. Any promise that God makes will come to pass. Read with me in 1 Samuel 30 as we read about a man named David. We know the shepherd boy David that killed Goliath. This is after that fact. This is before he was king, but yet when he was running, this is when David was running from Saul, the current king. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive of the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. Some of you may read this and say this is a horrible, horrible circumstance. A lot of times we all go through horrible circumstances. We, we may not have a city and family that's, you know, captive and things burned to the ground, but we have crisis in our lives. Look at David's response. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Horrible. You can't even imagine. And yet, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. This is those that were following David. Have you ever ha- had moments in life where you feel like, oh, my friends stab me in the back, my friends... This. Have you ever had your friends all get together and say, let's stone you? Okay, we don't really do stoning now, but... Have you ever had someone say, okay, we're going to send you to jail and suggest a death penalty, right? I mean, this is absolute the worst spot you could be in. The people all around him were bitter, each for their own sons and daughters. Everyone here, not just David, has lost their family. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David acquired, inquired of the Lord. Nowadays, I mean, he said a prayer. He prayed it to God. He's emotional. I'm sure this was not some, oh, dear Jesus. He, he was really needing an answer. He was really at his wit's end. God, what can I do? God, I have nothing else. I am broken. He asked God, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And God answers him, pursue and you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. The psalmist also goes on to write, this is David in Psalms 40, 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. 
Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. We have these powerful stories throughout the Old Testament of how God preserved his people through their own idolatry, through outside forces coming and just destroying everything. And yet God kept his way intact. So yet now we have the luxuries we have to where we have a Bible, we have a scripture, we have a community of believers that we can come together. And yet this whole universe, this whole world at least, has people grafted into the same covenant. Men of every nation, men of every avenue, there is no longer this Judaic kind of system, but yet the ultimate fulfillment of that. And when we come down to worship on any Sunday morning, we like to clap our hands. We like to raise our hands to God. And this, even now, is just kind of just a glimpse of what it will be like. In a different time period, the son of David, King Solomon, had an experience with the Lord that was powerful. Had experience with, with God as, as God said, build me a temple. Build me a house of worship. And most of you know, God's glory came and filled that temple. Okay, now in this passage, it talks about fire. And it says, you know, the, the glory of the Lord filled the entire temple. But I want you to look at the reaction of the people here. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down, the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's Second Chronicles 7.3. And so we see the worship of God. Yes, it's a different time period, but we see the worship of God come as the glory of God meets with his people. And yet now we have that every Sunday. We might not have fire. For those that pay the bill, we're probably happy we don't have we have to put in carpet every single week, right? But, but still, we have, the, we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have God all around us. We have the glory of God. And we can worship that God. I like to remind myself, I can get excited about a ball game, but I can get excited about this. And I can get excited about a ball game. Those, those of you that know me, you know I like basketball. You know I'm, I was excited last night when the Warriors won. I mean, you know, I mean, we have those things in our, in our lives that, you know, you know, they make you do a little fist bump. But if you, if, you can't, if you can't do that with God, there's, a, there's an inconsistency there. So I, I just pray this morning that this word would become life and truth in our hearts. Let's look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, while physically on earth, he was faithful to his heavenly father. Christ was faithful to death. We know he asked for the cup to pass, and yet saying, not my will, but thine be done. He was a servant even to death on the cross. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 says, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. He was servant to all. He put himself, coming from the highest place, put himself in the lowest place. 
And even though not having sin, not having any justification for having to die, he said, you know what, Lord? This is your plan. It's not going to be pretty, but I'll be faithful to carry it out. Because of this faithfulness, now salvation is faithfully administered by grace through faith. There's not a person on this earth that is unredeemable. If they feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if they say, God, I see myself as I am, I have had my wake-up call, I realize that I'm not the best thing since sliced bread. I have problems. I have baggage. I have struggles. If they recognize that and they recognize Christ for who he is, as soon as that forgiveness happens, it's faithful. There's no other disclaimers. There's no, oh, well, you're not old enough. Oh, well, you're such and such. You're not educated enough. No, everyone. There is a faithfulness to salvation. And I won't digress here long on this because obviously not everyone in here is married, but there's also a type of marriage that is represented when you look at the model of Christ and his church. Because of this, there's a new symbol of marriage that's a new standard of enduring love. Obviously, the Bible speaks against divorce. I'm going to look at a personal perspective from Paul, which hit me pretty strong. 1 Corinthians 7, I'll read 12 through 14. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Verse 13, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So first of all, this is, a, this is an anecdote that Paul is putting in there, kind of how the same way he said, I wish that you were all single, right? He's saying that this is not what God said, this is, this is my opinion. Um, but yet, at the same time, we know that Paul was a godly man, Okay? And at the same time, we all realize the fruitfulness of being single and that there's the carefree responsibilities. You don't have, you know, if you're talking about serving God, there's a lot less, you know, you have to worry about. You can serve God and serve God. But obviously, everyone's not called to that life. I think this advice is extremely poignant because a lot of people, yes, we we talk about not being unequally yoked, but a lot of people come to Christ later in life, after the fact. They're already married to a spouse. And I won't, I won't stay here long, but it's just something to think about. A lot of these ideologies and philosophies and, dare I say, other religions, a lot of them have a tenor to them that if you say, okay, well, if you agree with this, you're going to go out and proselytize, or you're going to go, you know, shove it down people's throats until, you know, right, kind of like accept it or, or die. We're going to kill you, right? You know, this is kind of the way some people operate. And yet Paul instructs the believers When you're administering Christ's love, there's a faithfulness. There's a covenant kind of love that, yes, Christ loves you, but you've got to choose him on your own. You've got to to make that choice in your own heart. No one's going to force you to love God, right? 
And so he says, for those that come into a covenant marriage after the fact with Christ, and you are already married to an unbeliever, you have a decision to make. If, 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 the, if the wife is, is there and she's faithful to live with you, then there is actually a benefit to you staying with that wife because you and your children, they have a godly influence in the home. They have a godly example. And someone to, yes, they may not, it may, everything may not be peaches and roses and, you know, you may not agree on everything, but how much worse would it be if you were to kick your wife to the curb? What kind of a Christ-like example would that be? Especially when God looks at marriage the way he does. Amen. So I just want to throw that out there. I, I felt there was no way to talk about the faithfulness of God, which at least, at least not mention that marriage aspect of it. And finally, the Holy Spirit. I won't dwell long here either because Pastor has spent many weeks just recently on the Holy Spirit. All powerful things. But yet there is a faithfulness to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is faithfully given. Just one verse in Luke 11, verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Amen? That's powerful. That's powerful. You see, even charismatic or Pentecostal, whatever your background, there was a lot of signs and wonders and jumping and excitement and very little explanation oftentimes. Growing up, I always thought God's going to just one day, I'm going to be either like at a ball game or I'm going to be, you know, maybe praying in the Bible, and God's just going to, and that was going to be it. But it's, that's, that's oftentimes how it is. There's so much exuberance we forgot, we forget to set and lay the foundation. I think pastor does a very admirable job here of, of teaching the word and, and going into what Paul writes in Corinthians and dividing the word of truth in a way that we can actually understand it and it's practical. But the biggest thing here is the Holy Spirit is faithfully given. There's nothing that is given to any believer that cannot be available to another believer who desires in earnest. Amen? And we get hung up on the fact that we are the body of Christ and we're different, and that's true. But there are not certain areas that are only here for the elect or only here for certain people because whatever the case, whatever kind of asterisk you want to put on it. So finally, if you bear me a two-minute video... Hopefully this will get you to laugh. Um, it's a preacher beeper. And I felt like, well, first of all, it goes along with the message, but even just for um, us having a good mindset on this um, honoring pastor and however we want to do it, I think this is a good thing to, whether it makes you laugh or is beside the point. But uh, it's something that we need to kind of really take to heart. And uh, Brother Matt referenced it um, in the worship earlier today, but... Go ahead, Kristen, if you're ready. I mean, you, you, you go to church, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I do. Yeah, so what, what are your thoughts on, on God and church and heaven and stuff? All great questions. Just, um, it's, it needs to be answered. Pretty deep question for out on the lawn this morning. I do have a lot of thoughts on that particular issue. Sam, you rang? Pastor Mike, what took you so long? He was just asking me kind of what I believe. Gotcha, I'll take it from here. Thanks. See you guys. Okay. Well, first of all, Sam believes the Bible's the inspired, infallible word of God. Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross as a a propitiation. I'm sure your dad's going to start coming to the games. You know? Once the divorce is funny, how things get better. Pastor, 
Can I, can I get a minute? Uh, not really. I'm, I'm babysitting. I've got some groceries to deliver and bill. And That's great. For... Look, hey, Jack over here needs somebody to show him the love of Christ. Dad's a real jerk. You know, you got the counseling background. We got tickets to a game. We are late. Maybe just a round of catch to show him, hey, somebody cares. Yeah, well, you know, see you Sunday. It's okay. It's okay. Hey, buddy. Yeah, I'm feeling okay, but the place is falling apart. I just don't know what to do. Every last dollar goes to the doctor. What can be done? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know. That's, that sounds really sad. Somebody need a minister? Oh, pastor. Great. Um, she can't take care of her house. There's got to be something someone can do for her, right? You mean help her out? Uh, meet her needs? That's a great idea. Why did I think of that? <laughs> don't know. I, you know, I just did preach a 16-week series on showing love in practical ways. Oh, yeah. Hey, great series. Good luck, huh? <laughs> Actually, I was just helping an older woman walk across the street. I left her in the median. Hi. So, application, right? We've been talking about We've been talking about the faithfulness of God, and God is powerful. God is wonderful. God is all we could ever ask or think for, and he will never leave us or forsake us. And yet there's a response. Yet there's, a, there's an attitude that we come into under. When you understand those principles, there's an action that reflects the, what's up here in the head, right? And as pastor is away, and, and you know he'll be physically back next week, um, but I, I just want us to all understand our role in this. This is not, this is not a come to Sunday morning service or, or even for myself, you know, okay, I'm going to fulfill my, my responsibilities and make sure the computer's right, you know, and all these little things and yet still forget to have Christ all around me in the practical, tangible ways that people need to be impacted by that hands and feet, right? And it may not require eloquence of breaking down some deep theological point. It may not require some kind of ridiculous thing that you don't have the money for or the time. A lot of times it's just some kind of short, intentional, genuine being there and caring. I want to dwell just briefly on one more thought just because we started with Deuteronomy and I'd like to end it up. Just dwelling on this one final passage, um, if you'll follow here, Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 26, um, you'll see what was asked of our spiritual fathers. And yet, even today, the principles still hold true. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather your grain and your wine and your oil, and he will give you grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain. The land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land the Lord has given you. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, and when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. 
you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon, from the river to the river Phrates, to the river Western Sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread. And he, as he promised you, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. So simply put, to follow God and to have fellowship with him is ultimate blessing and all that comes with it. To reject God, and this comes from James 1.17, but to reject God is to reject the giver of every good gift and the father of light himself. And of course, as we know, as the absence of light is dark, so this rejection of blessing is simultaneously a curse. And if the praise team would come up, I'll begin to close. So I just encourage you all, brothers and sisters, I encourage you to follow the Lord. This is another promise that comes with this. If you follow the Lord, you will find the blessing that comes in walking the kingdom walk. There will be an internal award, reward beyond measure. Love for God, get this, Love for God can grow upon itself, meaning that you may not feel like worshiping. You may not feel like reading your Bible. I may not have felt like coming and preaching this morning, even though I was supposed to. You know, you may not feel whatever it is we're called to do. But if you press in and do those things, if you trust God with whatever time it is you have in the morning... If you trust God in some way, that love for God can grow upon itself. God might just meet you in that place, and you might say, oh, wow, God, there you are. And he might speak something to you that encourages you, something that gives you that extra little something that you need. And then coming back the next time is easier, and the next time is easier. This can birth the love relationship that we're called to have. This can call us into the fullness of the love relationship that this whole, the whole Bible, salvation history, the whole thing is a love story between God and his people. And we're each called to experience that. And yet, as Brother Larry so eloquently put, the busyness of life often gets in the way. We, we have responsibilities and, and bills and all these things. But yet the same God that said, I will clothe the daisy that I watch the sparrow, that I have my mindset above all these things, I will not forget about you. And so as, yes, we have responsibilities that we have to carry forth, we can't leave God out of the equation. Because if that's your equation, it's broken. I don't care if, I don't care if it balances naturally on a checkbook or not. With God not in it, it is broken. And some people may not realize that in this life. That's the whole point of this promise. This life is passing. 
whether I have one more day here, whether I have a minute, whether you have 90 years, whether I've lived, someone lives to be 120, this is a very short period of time that we have. And if I plan on going to heaven, I want to be able to enjoy the things that I will do once I get to heaven. And that is worshiping God. Jesus is not just a get out of your free card, right? So this morning, as we move into altar time and time of ministry, consider what the psalmist said. As we talk about pressing into God and thirsting for his presence. Chapter 42, verse 1 and 2 of Psalms says, As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. May we have the same passion and dedication today as does the persecuted church overseas does. Their God's the same as ours. They simply have less distraction, more urgency, and a clearer focus. It doesn't and shouldn't have to be any different with us. Even today, as long as we have freedoms to enjoy unrestricted worship and ministry, let us pour our souls, our heart, our mind, our spirit into devotion to his glory in this world and others around us that we would pray that there would become this thirst for the living God. Before we end the service at the front, if you would please take a moment and close every eye, bow every head, open every heart. If there is one that's uncertain of where they stand with God, if you would slip up your hand. Again, if there's anyone that has not claimed faith in Jesus Christ, perhaps you've, you know, quote, said the sinner's prayer, but maybe you've never surrendered all of your heart to Jesus. Again, if you would raise that hand. This could be from a stronghold that you have in your life, and until now, you've been unwilling to bring it to the light. You've been unwilling to seek accountability. Maybe there's someone who's lost the love and the zeal that you had for your Savior. If there's anything in our heart that we need to make right with God, that can happen today. 1 John 1, 9, another promise of God says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cry out to him today in earnest and you will be born again. Transformation will come through surrender, humility, accountability, obedience. And thankfully, we do not have to go it alone. For there is a comforter who will come along beside you and fill you and empower you and bring this transformation into practical fruit and application. If you have experienced these rivers of living water that come from surrendering to the Holy Spirit, 
I ask that you continue to pursue more and more of his presence here at Bethel and at home and throughout the week. And let us all stoke a fire within our bones that will not go out. God, you are here in the service. And you've been here since the beginning. Lord, I ask that you do a work in our hearts today for the glory of God. In Jesus' name.